how do you build an e-commerce platform for this country where they can see as compared to just swipe a couple of years back i believe uh, anushkan came in came in with this book called ready player one which steven spielberg now had made a whole big movie on it and we also had a bunch of things coming in in the last bunch of years from uh like this eventful things like in 2016 pokemon go came in and uh, earlier last year uh, harry potter again a new game from niantic on again based on ar came in so there were these uh, specks of moments where it seemed like that this industry is just going to explode and the time has arrived we were just previously talking about uh, it's very hard to time the industry and what not but it these were so incredible and big events that paved the way uh, for many more inspiring entrepreneurs to like start up businesses and generally people who were enthusiastic to explore more deeper in the uh, in the scene but somehow in in this uh, whole uh, excitement the promise of the future that was being promised uh, that was occurring to us has died down a little bit what where where, where is it ex- exactly going where when do we when do we see uh, the future that was promised for us for ar and vr i think the one thing that's clear is uh, uh you're super right in saying that it's taken longer to play out from the time where everyone had an initial hypothesis which was say between 2010 and 2015 i think there was a certain amount of aggression towards betting on spatial computing vr ar specifically as the next big platform level change i think through that process we we uncovered three key things if i were to put so the first one is the moving pieces of the technology puzzle are not ready right 2015 was a very different world in terms of the tech that was available for the smaller companies to build ar and vr use cases and for the larger companies themselves to market these use cases out to the end users the second point feeds on the first which is i think the marketing got ahead of the technology now at all points we started showcasing that you wear these goggles and they're going to completely trick you into believing that you're in a surreal new environment for a limited uh view that is correct yes your brain does get tricked into believing that you're somewhere else but it's still early right it's uh, it's like saying that the first iphone would have completely replaced your desktop your laptop your tv everything that you have with you eventually it did right but it's not where it started the thing couldn't open an email if you wanted it to right so we got there after uh, a generous amount of time and iteration but i think here the marketing definitely got ahead of what's possible in the technology the third was perhaps underestimating how difficult behavioral changes are what do i mean by that is for an average consumer to lock themselves out of their real world drop themselves into the virtual world do something for a meaningful amount of time and then to zap them back to the real world is a generous amount of friction right there is you pause your work you wear a headset you do something you dismount and then you resume your work perceiving and i'm significantly distilling or simplifying the number of steps here and even on that that's too much so we quickly realized that across consumer friction which was underestimated marketing spiel that was way to exaggerated and technology that was slightly underbaked the timing was never right i think these answers have gotten much closer to a reality check in terms of what are they truly capable of and where are the good use cases lying at it's yeah. still not perfect i believe mark uh, shared in at one of the oculus connects i think it was 2018 if i'm not wrong that it ne- the ecosystem needs about 10 million odd devices for we are ecosystem to be self reliant we right uh, we have never seen like uh, outside of this whole euphoria that we have had for so many years now from 2012 when oculus got acquired until up until quest came out we never have seen uh, a couple of million devices of one uh, same 
uh, vendor or one same uh, distributors of sorts to be out there in market. Last year was probably the first year when we had more than a million units of Oculus Quest 2, a self-contained device which can operate independently, does not require a system, does not require any mobile phones to play out. Uh, and right. and it's very ironical, uh, but uh, th this was the event that was not captured uh, reasonably well. Uh, people made millions of dollars. Game developers ac actually started making uh, seven figures uh, on their in their revenues. And but the, the euphoria has consumed so much of us that uh, it's hard to put things in perspective. That now we are at the place where there are a couple of millions of. Oculus devices out there, which makes up for a reasonable size of a some kind of a seed of an ecosystem to start spawning up. Very true. In fact, what happens with false starts and uh, two, three times if it is a false start, uh, fatigue tends to come right in, right? Which is nobody's incentivized to believe this is the perfect time or this is a different time for the industry per se, because there is inherent bias from what you've seen before historically that it's been a false start. So as Pratham rightly mentioned, this is for the first time an independent console level product like a Quest 2 is able to generate for more than 30 to 40 indie developers seven figure revenues, which is a very meaningful amount of money to be made on a completely new platform altogether. Now, given that, we probably have the first signs of breakthrough that the Quest and the VR line of devices from Facebook is a serious gaming platform. And by the way, we're still at a gaming platform level narrative. We are not at a general purpose computing platform level narrative, right? So over the next three years, one major trend will emerge in VR. Whether VR belongs to the computing category or the gaming category. Are we looking at a really good console or are we looking at a computing device that can also play games, right? Your PC is different from your Xbox. While at, at the very gut, both of them operate on PC level technology. The PC is a computing paradigm. The Xbox is a gaming paradigm. Now, the VR devices from Facebook can be great gaming consoles. And that's a big market. It's $330 billion, but it's not a general purpose computing market, right? So do we consider a VR device as a niche gaming platform or an early computing platform? And I think that's still yet to be seen. I wish to believe it's a computing platform and not just a gaming platform, but we don't have enough data to conclusively say that's exactly where it's going right now. The second part that would emerge is, is augmented reality as good as just snapping a picture, which is today the friction with AR is lesser, but at the same point of time, you're not waking up out of bed every day and thinking, let me drop a elephant in front of me and see how it's doing, right? You're possibly waking up and thinking, let me grab a good portrait mode picture of myself. There are some behaviors that are a little more deeply entrenched than the others. So the second shift is for AR to become boring, right? When you do a Google search, you're not tickled. You're not finding that exciting, right? It's, it's a fairly boring task. Um, when you scroll mindlessly through Instagram and Twitter, it's a boring task. It's engaging, right? Like it keeps you hooked. It's the dopamine is all there, but it's a fairly boring task in terms of, you know, what's going to happen, right? With AR, it's not boring yet, right? Like it's, it's a whole new, oh, oh my gosh, the camera opens, I'm able to do this sort of moment for a lot of consumers even now. I think you, the moment AR becomes boring by usage and pattern recognition, which is this is what AR does, this is what I'm supposed to do to invoke something in AR, I think customers will also find it much easier to appreciate the use cases that AR has to offer. It's almost like dropping a face filter on your face. It's gotten fairly boring. You, when I say boring, again, I'm not meaning in a uh, in an engagement sense, but I'm meaning in an expectation sense. I know a filter is going to do something to my camera, which is going to make me look funky, right? And how do we ensure that now that same pattern is translated out to every part of the augmented reality stack and then making the customer appreciate it, not just for the fact that it works, 
but is able to meaningfully change the way they interact with the world around them. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thought. I've never thought about the whole process, you know, uh, making things boring enough so a user uses it every day, but the results that comes up after using it excites you. So not the process of using it, but the results after that. Yeah, Precisely. I mean, that's that's like a really interesting interesting note. Yeah, but, but apart from that, uh, like this second the question that I'm supposed to ask is coming from a person. Uh, how to get started with VR as someone who is a developer or someone who wants to work in this industry? What kind of thinking should you should have, and what what kind of does it depends on imagination more than the data right now, or how do you tackle those things? Because it's a completely new behavioral pattern that we are we we might see emerging in human beings as well. Very interesting, I think. VR and AR about two years ago used to be like the wild west. Absolutely no rules. It's a free for all. You just jump right in and you, uh, you, you sort of yeah. your way around. Um, I think since then there has been some amount of formal literature that's started to exist, but we're still in early days, right? So if you do want to break through into virtual reality and augmented reality, there are two to three accessible avenues for you to get started. The first one is probably understanding uh, the web stack, right? Even before you try to jump into VR and AR at its core value proposition, the chances of you appreciating a web stack already remain high if you're a developer. So if you understand how the web works and uh, that allows you to Trojan horse yourself into VR quite nicely. Today, there are existing frameworks right from open source niched out game engines like a play canvas um, to something like an A-frame, which is a declarative framework for you to build virtual reality scenes. Now, while these might not be the most visually compelling results, you're not going to build a GTA or a Skyrim using this. It's definitely a great start for you to understanding and appreciating the heck is VR even about, right? And the same with augmented reality. So Google has a bunch of initiatives um, and the open source consortium or the Kronos group as we call it as, which is a bunch of companies that come together to set standards for the web per se, launched something known as WebXR, which is a device-based API that allows you to build some really cool projects using web technology that makes AR accessible right from your smartphone. So WebXR means that if you're a web developer, you can actually retrofit yourself into becoming a fairly robust AR developer uh, without too much of the learning hassles that go behind it. If you choose to really grind it out and want to go from a beginner to an intermediate to an expert, you probably take up the more battle-hardened path like what Pratham does, where you end up learning Unity. Now, Unity is a little bit of a Pandora's box in itself. You, you start learning it and you realize the depth of how much you can push a game engine is significantly high. Game engines are possibly one of the most versatile pieces of software that are out there. And while that's an advantage in terms of it practically allows you to build anything that you want, it also means that you're really swimming in the deepest end of the waters here. So my general rule of thumb is first, develop a sense of empathy for the medium. Understand what VR is about, understand what AR is about. Second, develop a sense of shared connection through using web technologies because of they are accessible, they are easy to learn, and the learning curve is not completely different from what you might have seen so far. The third is if you're able to build some smaller side projects and possibly get involved at a community and an intellectual level on what VR and AR is about, and you truly want to take your skill sets to the next stage, jump right into a game engine and possibly try to pursue your idea further from it. Yeah. Uh, just cool. a small cool. comment on that. Yeah. I think uh, uh, both gaming engines and all the technologies that are being used to advance AR and VR right now, have a, even if they have not found their uh, merit in these same technologies, they have there have been like uh, other branches that have sprung up. Like for yourself, e-commerce is probably one of the things where its merit has taken shape. Uh, gaming engines used in uh, like bunch of other things, anywhere from AEC to 
uh, real time gaming uh, like paving the street for like something like a stadia to uh, something like mandalorian which has been like shot uh, completely real time so these are probably bigger use cases that have come out from the similar technologies uh, that were supposed to be building for ar and vr i guess very true the number of use cases that, that have mushroomed around vr and ar are possibly uh, quite interesting in fact a lot of the background effects that we see today across on our video conferencing software where it yeah, segments right. the background and drops it around were made possible because of a number of human or body tracking libraries that were predominantly built from a vr or an ar perspective first up and then quickly we realized okay this is going to be really useful segmenting the human from the background and thereby changing the background as well so these are some very interesting offshoot tangential use cases which often at times have more implicable value as compared to the actual product itself yeah uh you you have spent a fair bit of time in us and uh, i believe you have done a reasonable amount of business also there uh, both uh, and have studied there as well sbs graduate shout out to them like they need more <laughs> but yeah uh, so what is what is your take on uh, like the parallel that you would draw for uh, ecosystem that is bringing about or coming about in the us versus here in india when we specifically talk about air and vr very interestingly i believe i would sort of put it in a in a phrase that is exuberance without an agenda right which is you're really tinkering with the technology and you truly have a lot of joy being associated with a very 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 narrow niche of people and you're doing it not because you want to or your manager told you you need to or your company has a mandate to explore the technology but you're doing it purely because you are so much in love with it right and the amount or the proximity between people and the technology stack they love and hence how much they decide to work on some products like these is almost a tenfold difference at least in the ar vr industry as to what i was able to observe in the bay area which is why some of the best ideas and the most audacious goals that they were setting to themselves was a lot more palatable from the perspective of just striking a community a conversation and then eventually a company around but it never started with the motive that let me build a company and i think ar and vr is a hot space to possibly do it as and that's probably where a lot of the bad ideas start off right right because you're not going bottoms up a lot of things can come top down but good ideas go mandatorily bottoms up from your customer and you serving as the advocate for the technology means you end up paying a lot of attention to what the customer is who he is what does he want so on and so forth and that does not happen outside zones or pockets you require these meetups you require these close proximity events in order to really cross pollinate on those ideas and make it happen the amount of cross pollination if i were to say so is something that we still playing catch up here in uh, uh, here in our ecosystem per se Uh, that that was something which i saw in rife when i went in, when i saw the first few meetups in the bay area just the sheer amount of i i'm involved in this because i truly love it and um, that's about it i don't have a further agenda than that and it's not like i'm taking ideas from here and possibly moonlighting on a startup or anything that way you can choose to start up later but i think the true unwavering love for the technology stack is where a lot of good deep tech products probably start from closing on it uh, i've i've seen uh, apple and google mostly deemphasizing hardware but not software i mean so- the software side is going fine but the hardware side there there have been products but they have been cut down and they have been shut down the whole projects have been down so is it really hard to do a vr hardware or the ar hardware right now i would broadly boil it down to one the technology feasibility and the customer feasibility and i think the second part being more important than the first uh the first one was the technology feasibility where you saw projects such as google cardboard google daydream um a bunch of other projects like the google glass the magic leap one which is a google invested company um you had a number of swipes at developing hardware that was very compelling as a niche platform 
the one thing that we very quickly realized was even though class leading hardware can be built for the technology we have access to at that time and age the ability to convince a customer to make that dramatic a change is a lot tougher right asking you to wear a pair of glasses that are going to serve as passive notification shade overnight <laughs> seems a very difficult proposition let alone doing meaningful glasses already exactly yeah. and even then there is so much friction which means if you are going to ask them to do a adopt a completely new computing paradigm it's almost a customer level problem that cannot be solved as compared to a technology level problem that cannot be solved so companies started realizing that if they were to seed this as a decade long change it probably has to trojan horse itself starting with the smartphone where if i can slowly start incentivizing a user to go through this behavior i can possibly then push them across the cliff to go to the other side then and that is then, yes, but then then that would be a counter argument against cardboard right that was probably the uh, largest uh, like thing largest thing in the whole vr space over 20 million uh, headsets probably out in out somewhere in the world completely and you're totally right about that right cardboard was probably the most accessible way to get started with vr i think the limitation with cardboard was was a little more on friction and content when i say the lack of friction is a great way to trojan horse these use cases i'm actually trying to see if we can completely remove everything in the puzzle which is the smartphone and the user are the only two devices in action or in tow at that point of time cardboard still had that cardboard for practical purposes that you have to slide your phone in and calibrate bring it to life so on and so forth should it have been successful in my view a lot more than what it was now why did it not end up turning that way hindsight is 2020 huh. but i think the lack of quality content and the and the very poor expectations that people started to develop on cardboard viewers both didn't work right like one side people started to dismiss it as being gimmicky because the content is not great and on the other side nobody is incentivized to generate decent quality content because you're watching it at a 50 rupee to 100 rupee third party manufactured device that is going to give you an inferior experience no matter what so now you're caught between uh, uh, a rock and a hard place and uh, that's really where cardboard led to the evolution of daydream which was the more premium end let me solve the problem of terrible vr hardware with a 80 dollar accessible device so on and so forth. Daydream suffered its own level of uh, hassles from the friction, which never went. Which was still a device that I have to slip my phone into, and then stay there for a for a period of time. And, has and I think that's over thirty thousand rupees. Exactly. And that's almost anxiety inducing, right? Which is if I'm going to watch a movie for twenty minutes and I can't, I don't know anything that's going on on my phone for those twenty minutes. That's practically asking you to sacrifice your phone. for the experience it's a it's not even a trade off it is a trade in right you can't do anything else but be zapped into vr and back now in, instead of that i think where ar and inevitably the industry might move to are pop in pop out light and medium touch experiences you zap in to augmented reality throw something in ar it's only your phone and you move around it you're done you capture a picture or video share it on social media you're back right so now i kept you at the context of your real world you're doing something you still have your whatsapp messages flowing right in your phones with you you have a sense of ownership over the use case you capture what you want to and you're done but at no point of time is this any different from capturing a picture recording something for instagram the user behavior requires no supplanting change but but a subtle nudge as it moves forward the same thing with the quest the quest is now a vr device that's good enough where it rests on your table you pick it up you put it on it's got hand tracking they're even trying to get away with the controllers so it's one device that you slip in no phone nothing else your phone stored away in your pocket it's a completely different device right now you play with the quest with your hands in you're done you pop it out and you're good to go so i think we're going to find ar and vr being small bouts 
of sugar across the whole day where there are these moments where you zap in and zap out so we're not going to spend hours or days inside a vr medium or an ar medium but rather start by spending a minute two minutes two and a half minutes over a whole day by the way in terms of taking it forward your power users will go from 2 minutes to 20 minutes your laggards would go from 0 to 2 and that's probably where the hype cycle becomes a lot more realistic for you to bring to life yeah i remember the uh, the time that i used a vr device for over a or about an hour and a half like the minute that i came stepped out of the device i was literally trying to teleport myself where in the <laughs> in the physical world <laughs> an hour and a half is a real real solid amount of time for you to spend yeah. you're, you're a huge outlier there uh, the, 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 these these incidences were seldom like only once or twice <laughs> but anyway for sure uh but staying on on google for a bit more uh so uh i mean they they have been the they have probably been the uh, ones who were the mover of the whole of this field in the first half of this decade 2010 to 2015 anywhere from glass to cardboard to data into google tango now what we know it as uh, uh, air core right all emerged from there like you rightly mentioned not everything spanned spanned out pro- properly particularly on the hardware side we would not have had slam the way that we have now had it not been for google uh, what but and like rajat was mentioning would we see a, a good amount of a uh, good amount of uh, right precedences if we can say that uh, i mean ar core hasn't uh, yet uh, dominated the market so to speak but they are certainly much better off than where uh, uh, where cardboard left in so what what is what is your general understanding with this whole investment disinvestment uh, process in this space by google or giants like them right even outside virtual and augmented reality i i wish to view google as a highly experimental sort of work culture or company culture that is set out right we have seen in multiple occasions where products tend to compete with each other you have gmail you have inbox you have google keep you have google tasks yes. in fact on an existing portfolio of perfectly normal non ar vr products you have a significant amount of overlap or a significant amount of internal competition between a couple of products for similar use cases per se so google and the google graveyard as we call it as more often than not is is a very deliberate attempt to build products at an experimental mindset and not be attached to them so that you can pull the plug on them when you want to and now that tends to work to your advantage in terms of maximizing your bets which is uh, you understand what's working and simply double down on that and completely disregard the rest but for the smaller startups companies and developers it's a hugely concerning amount of volatility that you never know when google is going to kill a product right and uh, now that kind of hurts yeah and it hurts because if you're asking to if you're asking a game developer to base their entire next release on ar core I'm sorry, I'll have, to, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll have to cut you here. Like Google Poly, I mean, where did that come out? Why, why are they shutting that down? There is a petition <laughs> live out there. <laughs> it it beats me. In fact, uh, on a, on a, on a tweet storm, I had possibly tried deciphering why exactly did Poly fail from a mathematical or a metric <laughs> standpoint. So what happened with Poly was, I think the intention to keep a searchable index of 3D objects is probably one of the most Google ways to approach AR VR. Where if I am, if I'm assimilating knowledge, if I'm assimilating images, patents, I have multiple search engines for multiple niches. Why is 3D not a search engine level problem for me to solve? Which I think was an admirable swipe from where Google approaches it. At. The problem was Poly was built on this whole low poly aesthetic over a period of time. It never evolved, and it sort of had a little bit of an identity crisis over the two years, saying, "Who are you for?" Right? Which is, are you for an indie creator for their game assets? are you for um, an average consumer for their augmented reality experiences or in between all of this poly actually had a moment where they had virtual tours as well where so are you for an educator for their students right in between all of this again they had something called the poly brand editor where brands could publish 3d experiences and then try to make them as ads so you had poly ads you then had swirl ads which are a whole new other format that google has for 3d ads on top of this 
and later you have something called model viewer which is a completely different stack which is built internally at google for uh, placing 3d models on the web with an augmented reality focus on the scene and now suddenly it's a hot mess right in terms of who's poly for who's model viewer for and in, and why don't you use 3js or why don't you use webxr where does it stop right so i think what inevitably happens at a google scale of solving a problem is you very quickly tend to take a long term view when you get started but get very stifled with short term bets in the numbers that you might want to achieve and the ruthlessness with which you pull the plug on a product means that the smaller developers are left up in arms in terms of look we were building assuming that this service is going to remain relevant over a period of time now you shutter it down and what do we do next right so the distrust that it might build while you pull the plug on these many products is a lot but i also think for every google there is an apple right which is when apple puts its weight behind a technology stack a product or a way to push the ecosystem forward they don't relent right you never see an apple give in and give you a usb a port when they push the entire industry to usb c even though usb c is monumentally more inconvenient even to this day if i were to say so right uh, or uh, the lightning port and then pushing the entire industry there or completely removing the uh, the home button and then pushing the industry That's there or right uh, why is it a problem that your earphones have wires to them right but at this point the entire industry has possibly moved to wireless earbuds so i think apple has if any company possibly has the ability to move ecosystems it's possibly apple right they take long hard deliberate bets on what they are supposed to do right you're not trying to wing an experiment if i were to say so so google's built on the culture of experimentation while apple's built on the culture of solidity in terms of putting their weight behind a certain initiative but on both sides the commonality is the emphasis that augmented reality is getting right now which means even if google likes it or not the amount of emphasis that an apple would place on a core technology stack like ar means that at some level google needs to continue to compete and continue to compete in a impressive manner so that their user base remains loyal with them for the kind of features that is available there and that i think will will not die down so while there are products that may come and go go to the graveyard be resurrected from there in different formats you may for all we know google might have an augmented reality hardware play in the works right? like a hundred things go on but the only reason why that remains a company wide initiative or priority is because it is a table stakes level feature where apple is looking at it as and hence a microsoft would be looking at it as and hence an amazon would be looking at it as from an e-commerce perspective so on and so forth moving on to another camera first company snapchat this this is probably one of the the mirror world <laughs> this is one of those companies that have done like i i would say spectacularly well in the last couple of years and have been some sort of a partial uh, direction given to the whole scene meaning the like you were mentioning right there were no rules arvr was wild west and probably snapchat was one of those companies that provided tools to this game uh, uh, lenses was the biggest of those it it's i think uh, snapchat today has about 3 uh, 250 odd million users of which 70% of them uses lenses on a day to day basis it's it's like staggering to even under, understand how does that manifest and to somebody like me who's just like joined snapchat like 5 days back or 10 days back it's even more like uh, fathoms and <laughs> like what, what what's happening over there what what is your take on, generally on the company and their products first up congratulations right in terms of <laughs> just being at an org that is gravity defined in the way it has achieved success right when you look at a traditional social media landscape or spectrum the odds that snapchat had to defy in order to get to the success where it is at right now is almost unheard of right to build a social product around a niche break away from the niche and continue to invest in the camera as the whole identity of the company and be successful with that investment while you have incumbents which are huge at 2 billion users at as uh, as a total user base per se is no easy task 
right? And even something more recent as their uh, penetration or focus towards India as a market, which is a slightly more recent initiative, yeah. or their ability to integrate an ecosystem level play with Snapkit, where they offer Bitmojis, login and authentication, um, the whole ability to publish filters, um, as well as publish games. Right, so the Snap Kit per se yeah. means that Snapchat has now gone from an ephemeral texting app to a camera company, to a broad-based camera company, to a platform-level camera that is able to integrate across B two B and B two C touch points in a meaningful manner. Now, this is literally unheard of in a in a way that the execution bias that Snapchat brings to the table, where they set the gold standard for what the industry itself looks like. when it comes to ar use cases per se right now the snap spectacles as well launched to a lukewarm reception but iterated to a point where it continues to be one of the most intriguing pieces of hardware in terms of how it can evolve out and be a format of self expression when it gets smaller thinner and good enough it's still not there yet but it's probably one of the most acceptable form factors for you to wear a stylish pair of frames and possibly walk out and not feel bad about it so given these pieces per se i think if there is one company that got their punts or their predictions right all along it's probably snap right like the bet was on snap maps the location based unlock the games the miniature based unlock bitmojis which were avatar based areas of self expression um snapchat's recent acquisition of uh, play canvas which is a open source gaming engine in order to ensure that the games that are built inside the snap ecosystem are html games but tend to work as smoothly as a native game per se i think some of the ways that snapchat has navigated the ar landscape the gaming landscape and the social media landscape and sits at the center of it is aspirational on one side from here i think the org is possibly built to really leverage both on their own expertise of ar and most importantly the momentum that they will get from other companies around them continuing to innovate in ar per se now snaps one of those rare ar companies where there is a social graph that is attached to the ar functionality right you have a intrinsic network effect that makes the product very hard to displace as soon as people start using it which means while other ar products may come and go ar technology advancements may come and go snap is very tightly coupled to the use case of the ar which is a social layer at this case so similar to snap you will start finding other companies looking at ar as the primer or the coat of paint and the wall to be the use case where they want to smear this over now this could be social media this could be marketing this could be entertainment and sports where there has there is such large unlock of value if the first company that can possibly understand where the crossroads of a sporting event and augmented reality could come to picture there are just ways manners or even education for that matter right where i don't think the true depths of where an edtech platform could leverage on ar is being done just yet so with these bits i would think that just as the way snap had leadership in their pole position or in their space hopefully we have, we find more of these sector specific ar plays that start to become meaningful in life as well like retail with flipkart and scaping i i i did not want to do that plug but thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right but yeah I, there is one of the uh, yeah. i mean there are bunch of things that they have built uh, some of which i didn't even know until recently like uh, lenses and snap uh, spectacles are still fine two recent things that i found out about snapchat was once uh, spectacles 3 is available in india i did not know i did not know that you can go and buy it it's what some 30000 bucks and it's available on flipkart uh, again <laughs> and this other crazy thing i did not know was snap camera how mm. like uh, uh, and it's beautifully integrated with zoom uh, as well like absolutely that is that is something that i did not even reckon that they would be doing like moving out of the mobile ecosystem and going desktop uh, laptop heavy that was strange and, to see and that really pays a lot of homage to the company's positioning statement where they say they are a camera company and they're not faffing about it right which is you're not you're not an app that's just mass that this is claiming that you are something above and beyond your true use case in this scenario you actually thought of a of a laptop webcam and you built a whole other product around it which continues to leave that category for how cool you could make an average zoom call be like 
the developer eco ecosystem that Snap fosters, the Lens Creators Studio that uh, Snap has, the way that they've been able to architect a lot of easy ways for you to get started either as a lens creator, a content creator, or a consumer is second to none. And the app is built on a deliberate amount of being contrarian, right? If you notice Snap's UI, it's not adhering to the, to the strict rules of how apps are built. You've got swipes everywhere. You've got big, bold utilization of content pieces, formats. Uh, the whole USP of Snap is around the fact that it appeals to an audience which the old guard simply don't understand. And that audience deeply respects the camera. And hence the camera is sort of where we are moving at. Pratham, you're a real exception to the rule in this case then. Yeah, I mean, I, seriously, I've been trying, but I do not understand it yet. At least not good right. enough. Oh, I was struggling. Very recently, I was convinced to download Snap by this really cool designer. And uh, ever since that time, I've been trying to flick and swish around the app. I have been told that just stick to the basics for now. You should be able to do fine. But the more I try uncovering the app, the more I realize every other app works very differently to what Snap does. It's got its own cult code of sorts, right? People tend to associate to a cult a lot better, right? Or a tribal feeling that you get while using Snap, which is, I know something that the, the old guard does not. And hence that makes me and my tribe of people a lot easier for me to relate to and access to. And that's right. the kind of close sense of the the nodes in the social graph that Snap has is the number of nodes is smaller, but the kind of connections that people end up developing there seem to be a lot more closer as compared to most other social networks. And also maybe, uh, I don't know, probably serendipitously, uh, they were probably the first to figure out that the social, the whole social media movement would also go from far uh, open-ended to like private, private groups. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think stories continues to be the most important software innovation from a social stack of the whole decade per se. Right. Uh, so moving on from the uh, other place of the industry to the mammoth, <laughs> Facebook, who has been like the ultimate torchbearer for this whole industry in itself. Like if, if Facebook would not have been invested in this space for the last five years, there is little chance that uh, AR and VR could have been like even remotely where it is right now. They just keep on pouring money and resources and brains on top of it. I like you just, there is no end to it. This last, uh, I mean, this is just like a me fanboying over it, but the last uh, Facebook connect that I saw, particularly the uh, part where uh, Michael Abrash talked about the uh, future coming technologies, it just blew my mind. <laughs> completely, completely. So like uh, the VR ecosystem, the whole couple of billion devices that we have been talking about would not have been there uh, if, uh, if not for Oculus. What do, what do you interpret? Like first on, on uh, Facebook and Mark's ability to deploy resources uh, like appropriately as a founder, as a ecosystem uh, person, like generally. Right. I think if there's one company, as you rightly said, which has exercised a long-term view and a generous amount of patience and capital allocation to making this industry successful, right on top of the list is Facebook. I think two things that the company really nailed out was an almost obsessive amount of emphasis on owning the next big platform because it has its own amount of value if you're playing a social media sort of game. And the second part was what this platform can be, right? Um, you might you, you might want the intent to own a platform, but unless you're right about what the next big platform is, nobody cares. So Facebook had a lot of inertial interest in missing mobile phone as a huge platform level change. And hence there was a huge amount of prioritization saying if anything is the next platform, I possibly want to have ownership over the same, which played well to VR's advantage which meant that VR, even in the early stages of its technology life cycle, was being treated not as an early niche product by Facebook, but as a general purpose computing platform that still needs time to mature. VR got away with the lens of a general purpose computing platform from the earliest of days because that's what Facebook wanted it to become. And that's what Facebook continues to want it to become. And the biggest advantage Facebook has brought to the table with that is in the Facebook reality labs, 
you possibly have close to 2000 of the world's brightest engineers possibly trying to chip away at this problem on, an, on a yearly basis. And right now, the ad business, as well as what are Facebook's core cash cows seem to be allowing this kind of research appetite or risk appetite to go with a lot of patience. And what that means is a company that's tending to fly high, a company that's having a high risk appetite to a certain piece of technology, and a company that has allocated more than six years of its high quality R&D resources towards bringing this technology to life is going to stick it through, right? Stick it through to a point where Facebook's strategy around building AR and VR devices has now gone from big bang launches to working with the community to closely understand what their next big device would be. For example, they recently launched something called Project Aria, which is an augmented reality pair of glasses whose only goal is to possibly have time of flight sensors fitted on the front of the cam of the glasses to record depth and spatial and mapping data of what is going on in the world around you. Now, Facebook had no reason to declare Project Aria as a project that they're working on or as an alpha, Holy. but have started to do so because they want to take a more open community approach and an iterative approach to getting to the finish line. Right. And this iterative approach was not heard of in the AR VR industry before or very till very recently. Till date, it was always Big Bang. I'm going to launch the Oculus Rift. I'm going to launch, launch the Oculus Go. I'm going to launch the Oculus Quest. And these were all built in far more tighter environments of company level product launches as compared to a more collaborative layer of here's what I'm building over the next three years. I would possibly be doing it with Ray-Ban and hence I'm going to launch these out and you might find people around you wearing this all the time. And don't worry, we've got the safety protocols in place as well in order to keep your information safe. Yeah. That's a level, the needle has moved from this side to the complete opposite end pretty quick. Now, what that means is Facebook is serious on making this technology successful, but is also very cautious that they might miss the true consumer level opportunity. So the best way to de-risk that is to possibly end up iterating, failing and iterating with the consumer themselves in order to reach the success point. And Apple would take a far more cautious approach on being all closed and then making the big bang release. So it's very, very interesting that over the next two years, you will find two companies taking completely different approaches to trying to achieve the same end result, which is owning the augmented reality and virtual reality platform of the future. Yeah, I mean, it. I think they're taking a page from Google Glasses playbook, like where did they fall short, what did not work with them and trying to take a public buy-in from early on. It was a little Completely. more than I, I will say so, but yeah, probably to their, I mean, they, they might eventually play it to their advantage possibly. Very true. Almost what an Apple did with the Apple Watch themselves, if you think about it, not, and that happened on a yearly basis. When the Apple Watch initially launched, it sort of had a bit of a feature crisis to it, right? Who was it for, right? Very specifically. And between the first iteration to the sixth that we are in right now, Apple was able to develop this into a sports fanatic or a health conscious person who requires this kind of access on their wrists on an all day time period. The persona actually developed after throwing the watch out on a consistent iteration cycle, but this happened over yearly basis. So you didn't feel the change that dramatically. So what Facebook is trying to do is short circuit that process by announcing that a product exists thriving on the feedback cycle that it that sort of comes through with the announcement and then possibly literally building it in the open as compared to building it behind closed doors and then coming out and announcing about it. Yeah. Uh, and another, I mean, this is sort of a uh, like update. People who might be listening to it, like my mother or Rajat's mother, <laughs> would not know about the, would not even realize what AR is, but there are uh, now a billion people like literally 1 billion people who have used AR in some way or shape or form, thanks to uh, Spark AR and thanks to Facebook. Like it, we, we, the industry sorts of like keep uh, throwing around jargons all the way around, but it has already become like habitable part of their, uh, like regular people's life. And it's so fathoming to see like how our ecosystem without so much of developers, I mean, there are still a couple of hundred thousand developers, which is not small, but 
uh, which do not have a buy-in into the ecosystem, meaning they do make some money here and there, but they cannot invest themselves in the ecosystem from uh, making a dramatic change. There, there are no SDKs available for it. There are no uh, APIs, open APIs available for uh, working on, on top of it and has somehow managed to be used by a billion people. Come to think right. that is almost unheard of and probably even will not be reproducible anytime in the future. What 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 is your take on Spark Air and uh, Air, uh, Spark Air Studio? I think the largest unlock of value is access, right? You are in the world's most um, invested platform when it comes to sharing media formats, which are permanent in nature, which is Instagram, where the whole goal is to portray yourself in that sort of life's rosy and it's perfect sort of proposition. Instagram is built around that value prop. And uh, while you do that, the way you capture your memories is the most important part of the app. And now that capture has a thousand interpretations to what a filter can bring to the table. Now, Facebook, by virtue of just opening an AR platform there, meant that you're attaching a pipe to a much, much larger vehicle and possibly funneling the users through that. So Spark had the biggest advantage of starting surrogate inside the Instagram ecosystem from day one, which meant that the Facebook camera platform, as it was called as even before it was rechristened to Spark, had a huge head start in terms of accessing the right people with the right intent to do something with the camera. If it had to build this out from scratch, I think it would have been a far more painful process, which is where big company moves sort of tend to work to your advantage. What Spark did right after that was to not be everything for everyone. Even to this day, as a pure tool, we probably have a hundred feature requests that we would individually write to Spark that we might, we might want incorporated in the same. But Spark has stayed true to its roots that less is more. Right? You don't have a bucket list of features but for what is present, people have started to get very crafty with the way that they are able to build some of these AR experiences and throw it out there. Even to this day, though, the number of creators to consumers as a ratio is very small, which is even though there are a billion people who have possibly gone through the consumption process, the number of people who create such experiences are still fairly small per se. The next big chapter for Spark, which I think might be interesting, is how do you now go from a ratio where there is 100,000 creators to a billion consumers to a ratio where you can possibly have one creator for every three, two consumers per se, right? Or maybe, that, and just, that's, or maybe just a better uh, profit sharing in a manner where like how most of the platforms have. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, the ability to incentivize the creator to go deeper and to incentivize a non-creator to become one, I think is probably where Spark would break out from a cool tool that is present inside Instagram to a YouTube level incentivization structure where creators and economies around creators themselves can be built and possibly fostered. Yeah. Uh, it's just another thing that I've, I've been like fanboying for some time now. Did you did you check out the infinite office that was uh, mentioned in the uh, my film. word, what a good demo. What a good demo. <laughs> yeah, right. Those are just right. some of those feature reveals that we all yearn and live for, I think. It's incredible how deeply, and I heard this in a water cooler conversation with someone at uh, uh, Facebook over a year back before this one, this video launched through. And I was fairly dismissive of it saying, look, while that's great, I'm not sure if any company is going to have the audacity to chase that kind of a vision, let alone display it to the public in order to build a shared sense of understanding on how the future might be like. And there we were a year, just, just about a year later with an entire high production level video of a bunch of demos put together on what the office can even look like. So I think if there's any company that's bullish on making it a general purpose computing platform, again, that sort of really starts from Facebook and but what good demos in terms of that whole proposition. Lovely. But thinking from a consumer point of view and as a product point of view, uh, every product has to have one defining stage where there's a mass adoption. So 
probably you can say for a car industry or a cell phone industry or earphones industry. So in, in the VR or AR industry, is it up too early in terms of technology to be adopted as mass production, uh, mass adoption, or is it the behavior? Where are the consumers actually? Because even if I consider myself as a consumer, I open Google Maps and I see those directions, but there is no point of it, you know, uh, what I mean, I, I can still do those tasks without the need of AR and VR as of right now. It just so, doesn't occur to, what, what's that? For, for a consumer to see that. They it just doesn't occur to my mind, you know, okay, let's, let's open AR. I mean, why would I, I'm, I'm running to my train or I'm running somewhere. Why would I open an AR and use it? And it just, the use cases scenarios are just not aligning somehow. Right. So the first part of the question, which is what's going to be that one inflection point, which is going to result in the technology being successful. I think it's more like death by a thousand cuts, right? You're going to have a number of smaller initiatives and moves that end up nudging the industry forward at a collective basis, like Snapchat doing something, Facebook doing something, Apple doing something else, uh, the LiDAR coming on your newest iPhones, another cool startup introducing some features on top of it. So I think it's more like a snowball as compared to a big bang. Um, big bang moments definitely exist. The iPhone was a great one, but snowballs are usually slower, but a lot more meaningful in terms of achieving success. We can never go back and have 2007 repeat all over again, because very few times in human history does, uh, does an inflection point like that come through a lot more realistic as a way to achieving the end goal is possibly starting small, building a flywheel or a snowballing effect from there and taking it ahead. I think a snowball is a lot more likely in AR over the next 24 to 36 months, where you will find several key features that start coming in on social media, education, media and entertainment, marketing, and ed tech that possibly drive things forward with e-commerce also chipping in. That snowball effect drives you forward to the second part of the question, which is why do I care or when should I care? I think the when should I care part has always been this problem statement of pause what you're doing, get into VR or AR, look at what's going on, get out, continue what you're doing. This whole session pausing sort of state, I think will start breaking down. VR and AR become, or AR specifically for the short term, would become a little more ingrained with the customer journey per se. It's almost like how you use Face ID, right? Face ID is an authentication system that you practically do not think about each time you pick up your phone right now. And you don't think about it, not because it's useless. It's, it's the single sliver of hope between you and a stranger reading all your phone's contents. But you don't think about it because it works behind the scenes, right? I think a similar effect would happen with AI. It's almost like Netflix's recommendation algorithms these start to become mm -hmm. slightly invisible layers of tech until you need them the most. A good example of this would be how Google uses AR technology across in Google Maps. So to this right now, when you launch Google Maps, you have no signs that there is even any AR functionality that's broken in or that's baked into the process. But what you would see yep. is as someone starts walking instead of driving and they are in a very specific location where this feature can be invoked, you then suddenly find a mascot that pops up and says, would you want to launch your camera? I think I'd be able to show you the way far easier. So now in that context, for that pain point, for that specific customer, AI starts to make sense. I think that's where AR would be okay. very useful at this point of time. For example, the way Snapchat would crack that is only when I launch the camera and I want to press the shutter button, am I going to show alternatives to the shutter button with a swipe so that your intent of capturing a picture remains. The ability for me to introduce AR during that intent is where things remain exciting. So I think these intent-based AR sessions would be a lot more prevalent and a lot easier to pepper across the industry as compared to individual AR applications, which state close all other apps, launch this app and play this for another 20 minutes. 
which yeah. is like a Pokemon Go. You might have those, but that's few and far and requires a significant amount of attention, time and resources to build something like that. But what I think other companies would end up doing in the meantime is integrating this into their user flow and their user journey for specific, specific spots where, where it might make sense for them. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have one, one question. Uh, okay. The nerd, ARVR nerd in you uh, who exists, looking at the big company, which is Apple, when it launches something with AR and VR, what part of you will get excited? The entrepreneur part or the user part? Used to be the entrepreneur part. Perhaps I would say the user part right yeah. now, because I think the success of the yeah. first completely is predicated on the excitement that it's able to generate on the second, right? Which is the only yeah. way a startup ecosystem is going to receive any amount of success in AR, VR right now, is if the excitement stems from the user and then trickles uh, out to the uh, to the founder per se. So while as a founder you might yeah. get very you might get very optimistic, the excitement perhaps still ends up coming from the user. Yeah, yeah, totally understood. Yeah. Continuing on that thread, Matayo, Primesense, Flyby, Emotient, Polar Rose, Face Shift, and more recently Next VR. Among the one that we know and maybe a deck uh, dense of more that we don't know about have gone by, have been consumed by this company in the last uh, half a decade or maybe a decade, but we don't see the glasses yet. Where are the glasses? <laughs> <laughs> the amount of rumors we've been hearing about Apple and the number of attempts at getting those glasses out is incredible. Like at this point, every time, I think the answer happens to be two years from now. Right? Like at, it's come to a point where if you want to build a company, assume it's not going to happen in the next two years and continue building your company. Because I think we have all burnt our hands significantly with the hope that, look, Apple's going to come out with their glasses the moment they do, the whole industry is going to change. The industry might, right? I still am optimistic. When they do, there is a huge amount of impact. But the timing is so off across the whole spectrum that at this moment, there simply is not a realistic way to bet and punt on the fact that they will launch something in 2021, 2022, 2023. And even remotely think of reverse engineering your startup now saying, oh, if Apple launches this in 2022, a great time for me to start is 2021, right? Like never do that. I think a number of startups did that saying an anticipatory launch of the Apple glasses is a great reason for me to exist eight months, nine months before, before time so that I'm ahead of the market when, when things do happen. Those eight months, nine months just don't come, right? Like build this startup of yours in the AR, VR space, assuming that's never going to happen. If it does happen, you're in the best place at the best time. Yeah. Sometimes these things also do pave like good stories. Like for Kevin system, it worked out. He was building a web-based solution of some sort and didn't even know iOS uh, coding at that point in time. But in 2009, he ended up building Instagram by combinatorial pieces of technology that were just flying around uh, the all over the place. Very true, very true. And in fact, a WhatsApp as well, right? Like at some point, we were just making the transition from PDAs uh, to smartphones and in smartphones, text messaging was still a notoriously difficult problem. WhatsApp enjoyed the concept of right place, right time just as much. You could have had any other third-party client, which was a messaging service that could have taken that limelight up. But WhatsApp did the basics really well, which is low data, I'm able to have high throughput of messages, so on and so forth. So sometimes the number of factors that go in to making a startup successful have so many things around you that just have to come together and so many things that you have to do well to get there. Just that I have seen more startups be successful when they back their own ability as compared to pray for someone else's ability to pave the market for them. First of all, thank you that you have been patiently with us for all this time. This probably is the longest interview that we yeah. have. We'll just wrap it up in the next uh, five minutes. But there is a small game that we want to play with you, a small rapid fire. Uh, so we'll ask you a bunch of questions. Uh, you have to reply as fast as you can uh, with, a, with a small phrase or, or a word. A uh, couple of Got these it. are going to be hit or misses, but yeah. <laughs> 
all right i think all of them would end up being hits or misses so uh, go easy on me all right no no yeah. we, we have, uh, these are sim- simple ones right. <laughs> favorite entrepreneur oh elon musk favorite investor oh this would be apart from actualer and all other people that invested in you of course, of course. i think favorite invest- investor would uh, all that stuff mark and reason awesome a16z for the win oh, for uh, sure. one uh, business that you would have started uh, that you wish you would have started I had a huge inclination towards building something in uh, in the education analytics space which is a way for you to quantify a learning track i would have possibly pursued that okay uh, native or web or the web any day <laughs> ar or vr oof oof xr <laughs> that's not an answer that, that's not right <laughs> uh ar in the short term vr in the long okay 2020 exit <laughs> very I'm glad we are out of it in more ways than one yeah next decade yeah special Bangalore or San Francisco? San Francisco. Favorite Indian XR startup? Indian XR startup. Hmm. Well, I would put a startup in the XR space by an Indian. This is called Ubiquity Six. Uh, they have a product called Display Land. It's no longer sort of live and out there for consumers, but Ubiquity Six in general is run by this guy called Anjney Bida, and Anjney probably has some of the mo- wackiest ideas in terms of how spatial computing and social media can come together in order to create an instagram for spaces as compared to an instagram for pictures per se so i thought that's deeply exciting okay if if you were like if i put a gun to your head and still ask you for an indian startup exa startup what would you say i'm really scratching at the bottom here man <laughs> i i definitely think the ecosystem in india needs to evolve out a, 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 a lot more in order to have uh, A, a good crop of people who are there uh, looking at the startup ecosystem in this way okay uh management or tech i'm not smart enough to do tech so i pick management before we end yeah. where where is sai going next oh man now now you're putting me in a spot <laughs> i think <laughs> i i remain singularly focused on one goal right now which is we've had a lot of promise around both the technology the company that i was building as well as the company i'm a part of now a lot of that is at the cusp of being realized right like it's nice to say we can impact 200 million indians it's another thing to impact 200 million indians so i think this is for the first time that the opportunity presents itself at so you would find me almost uh, rabbit holing myself into an amount of focus there to make that happen so that's mostly where my time is going to go which is how do you build an e-commerce platform for this country where they can see as compared to just swipe this is this is your first yeah. first job as an employee right if i'm not wrong <laughs> this is the first time ever that i'm having a boss and i'm an employee so when i walked into the campus the guard asked me are you a fresher or a or a new joiny i'm like geez i'm a founder but i no longer can call myself <laughs> if that is so so i'm still learning and I'm, i'm still getting around to having an id card with me uh, but hopefully it, it should normalize soon for people who who are new uh, like who stick who stick around this what how old are you <laughs> i would be 25 going on 26 now so i definitely feel old here 20 what 25 26 okay. so i definitely am starting to feel old and no longer able to play the age card yeah Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, I. It's been wonderful. Thank you yeah. for being with us. Thank you so yeah. much. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Bye.